you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Folks, yesterday on the broadcast, we had my son, uh, Preston, who's my middle son, and the one with the darkest complexion. And uh, he uh, was sharing his testimony of what God has done in his life and how prayers have been answered. And uh, it, it was so good, we decided to make it two episodes. So this evening, we're going to start with that. If you missed last night's, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it because uh, it's all good. Um, and if you have a loved one who needs to hear this message, realize you can go to our website and download it. And uh, we would be glad for you to share it with others. The real crux of the situation came when I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And so my only, again, my only sense of security, my only sense of support system was, um, was, was breaking down. Mm -hmm. And so again, I went to live with my aunt uh, for a short period of time, but my childhood was very broken. I lived Mm -hmm. with my aunt for a couple of years. I lived with my, one of my older sisters Mm -hmm. for a couple of years. But when I was 11 years old, my mom lost her battle to cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point, everything became a real Mm toss-up. None of my sisters were financially capable or maybe even willing to take care of me. So there was a very real possibility that I was going to become a ward of the state. Um, I just remember the instability Mm -hmm. um, and wishing that I had, you know, the, the home situation, the life situation that other people had. And not being able to not being able to have that, but the Lord, you know, knew the desires of my heart. Even though I didn't know Him, mm-hmm. He had a plan for me. Um, and after my mom died, He brought a couple into my life, uh, Lee and Byrne Eaton. They started a soccer program in my project, and they would come and pick us up um, for their soccer program. He was he was actually coaching and heading up a, mm-hmm. a soccer team that he had made in our community. Mm-hmm. So when my mom died. Uh, they showed they took special special interest in me mm-hmm. and they began inviting me to their house mm-hmm. um, my mom died in april 1999 and so in june 1999 lee eaton the wife approached me and said she said my brother um heard about this camp in wares valley tennessee called wares valley ranch camp mm-hmm. um she said i know i'd never been outside of the city of montgomery but she said we would like to sponsor you to go to tennessee to go to this camp if you'd like and I had only seen movies of camps and I thought that it was a cool idea. So I agreed to it and they, you know, they got the permission. My legal guardian was my sister at the time. They got her permission. Mm-hmm. And I came up here to where I am now, actually, where's Valley to Tennessee. And I just remember just absolutely being in love with the environment, with the mountains, with the trees, with the other kids. It was, it was so refreshing to be in an environment that would be an instructor environment, but that was also fun. 
uh, with all the horseback riding and the activities. But I think the thing that stuck with me the most, and, and I believe it was uh, most memorable to my now dad, was that I was very interested in the gospel. Mm-hmm. I had never heard any of these Bible stories before, and one of them was the story of Adam and Eve. Um, and it's just a simple walkthrough, evening by evening, of important um, Bible stories that all point to Jesus and all point to salvation. And every single day at camp, I would sit very front and very center mm-hmm. because I didn't want to, I don't know why I did that. I just, I, I was so fascinated that we even knew who the first people on earth were. Mm-hmm. I thought that was long forgotten and long gone. And <laughs> I mean, you were talking about things that I could never really have imagined that we knew to me, they were just cool. They were cool stories. But what I didn't realize at the time is that the Lord was really, um, the Lord was really reaching out to me. Yes. And so at the end of the week, um, when it was time to go home, we had actually left the, the Eaton's head. Mm-hmm. They stayed down in Townsend at the best Western hotel. I don't know why I remember that, but they came back and picked me up. We were driving through the park on our way home and I remember my mind was just racing and grasping for something. I, I knew that there had to be, that this couldn't just be a one-time experience, that there had to be something more. So I asked them, is there any way that people get to stay there? Are, mm-hmm. are, there, um, are there any people who actually live there? And they said, we don't know. And, and this is a moment that, you know, is absolutely of the Lord, undeniably, but instead of just saying, you know, oh, we'll, we'll research it. Maybe we can call mm-hmm. them. They said, we don't know. Let's go find out. <laughs> <laughs> and I, to me, I mean, that I'm an 11-year-old kid just asking questions. Yes. But they turned the vehicle around and mm-hmm. drove me back mm-hmm. here. And we went over to the office. And there, again, of the Lord, I mean, this couldn't, none of this could be written. Mm-hmm. But Susan Wood... Um, Mm -hmm. who's now my mom was actually, this was not scripted. She was walking out of the door Mm -hmm. and they pointed to her and they said, well, that's pastor Wood's wife. Ask her Mm -hmm. what you asked us. And I, you know, I asked her, is there any way that kids, um, get to live here? Mm -hmm. She didn't know my story. She hardly knew anything about me, but she said, yes. Um, I forgot her exact words, but she said, you know, the Lord has to, to, um, to speak to us or to mm-hmm. call us to invite mm-hmm. you to be here, but there is a school here. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, it turns out that where's Valley ranch, the school yes. was the perfect place for a kid like me. Yes. Whose mom had just died of cancer, whose dad was an alcoholic, um, and who didn't have any other support system. Mm-hmm. So I remember that vividly. Yes. My wife, I was in the office and my wife turned around and came in and said, Preston is asking uh, what he'd have to do in order to get to live here. And I said, well, we've got to have permission from his guardian. But if he's wanting to be here, I'd, you had, as you said, sat down front and center mm-hmm. each night Every at day. the devotionals. Yeah, no. You were focused in. And so you already had my heart. Mm-hmm. But um, I said, you know, we've got to get permission from your guardian. But if you want to come here... Uh, we can definitely make that happen. Yes. And so um, it is a situation where the guardian has to agree Mm -hmm. and the child has to be willing to come. You are more than willing. You are eager. Absolutely. So um, your sister regarded this as a blessing. Yes. And agreed for you to come. And so you started that year 
and of course graduated from the ranch. That's right. But during your teen years, my wife and I were in the process of adopting three kids from Ukraine. Yes. Three children who were in an orphanage in Ukraine that God told us we were to adopt. And Preston, um, as a teenager, was spending his holidays and all in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, when there'd be a break from the school, he'd come up and stay with us. Yes. And so he was like family to us, even though he was not available for adoption. But Preston, knowing that we were going to be adopting children from overseas, asked a very intelligent, uh, well-worded question, and that is, Pastor Wood, how did you decide to go overseas to adopt? And, of course, I thought, eesh. He's, he's asking this because he's wondering why, when we haven't adopted him, would we be adopting from overseas? Mm-hmm. So I told him, I said, this is not something we were looking to do. God told us that we were supposed to adopt these children mm-hmm. before we ever saw a photograph of them or anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, you know, so we're just doing that out of obedience to the Lord. Yes. And I said, and of course, you realize that you are not available for adoption. Your sister is your guardian. And uh, so you're, and you said, yes, sir, I understand. And my wife, who has never been one to leave well enough alone, spoke up and said, Preston, are you asking that because you wish you could be adopted? Yes. And you said more than anything. And, and that, was, that was a true statement. I also remember uh, just my teenage years. I remember my time with you all extremely vividly. Um, most of the kids at the ranch have someone to go to, have some home to go to. But my, yes. my situation in Montgomery was so broken that I really didn't have anyone to go back to. I had loved ones, but none of them were in a place where they were willing and ready to receive me. So I would spend my breaks with you all. And I remember those being some of my most fond memories from my childhood, um, going to places like Montreat. Mm-hmm. Um, which, um, which is where you, I want to say grew up. I did. I grew up there. That's what I thought going to Montreat, but you also have history with Montreat college. I mean, yes, you have a lot of history with Montreat, but anyway, I just remember those trips where we would go on long car rides where I would get to have conversations with you all. And in my mind and in my heart, I had already begun to think of you all as my parents. These thoughts had already begun to circulate. They weren't new, Mm -hmm. but I was, you know, socially intelligent enough to know that you don't go to a group of people, even people that you love, and say, you know, hey, would you, would you all be willing to adopt me? Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't quite known how to, how to really broach the subject. I just, you know, I kept moving along yeah. as things were. Yeah. But when you all um, said that you were going to adopt three kids from Ukraine, I didn't necessarily think that they were going to you know, supplant me or like take my place or anything. Yeah. But I did think, okay, well, man, you know, I'm, I'm not, why not me? Yeah. I'm not terrible. You know, I mean, why (laughs) I'm right here. (laughs) And so it did, it did, you know, raise the question. Okay. So what made you decide to adopt these kids? And I didn't say it at the time, but not me. And like you said, it was um, beautifully implied. Yes. My mom did pick up on that, on all the questions, the persistent questions. Yeah. Um, and did actually um, ask the question. And yes. Um, you said it would mean so much to me yes. if I could have your name. Absolutely. And it would be official. Absolutely. So that began a process 
that took, it took us nine months to adopt three kids from overseas. Mm-hmm. It took us two years to adopt a black kid from Alabama mm-hmm. because the way the laws are set up, in order for you to become available for us to adopt, mm-hmm. your sister had to give up custody, not just to us. She couldn't say, okay, the Woods are going to take custody now. We tried that. Didn't work. Mm-hmm. She would have to totally relinquish custody, at which point you would automatically, by law, become a ward of the state of Alabama. Alabama would then have to approach your relatives and see if any of them were willing to take charge of you, and if none of them would do so, they would then look for another black family in Alabama. If they couldn't find a black family in Alabama, then they could be open to the possibility, this is all by statute policy, they would then be open to the possibility of your being placed with a white family in Alabama for adoption. And only if that didn't work (laughs) would this white family over in Tennessee have have a shot at adopting Mm -hmm. this child whom we loved. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we thought we were just kind of stuck in that situation. Yes. And uh, your sister said that she was giving guardianship over to us. Yes. So yeah. And, I mean, she put that in writing, but, again, that was not a legal document. That's right. So when I took you to get your permit so that you could drive, yes, I was ready to sign that I'm willing to be liable for any crazy stuff you do. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was, I was excited that my son Preston is about to get his permit. Mm-hmm. And the lady at the driver's license place looked at me like I was nuts. And I said, well, look, here's the letter from his sister. Yeah. She said, this means nothing to us. You have to have an order from the court. Yes. So I, I was just heartsick, And you were so nice about it. And I thought, we've got to do something. So I called the um, newsman at Channel 10 in Knoxville, Bill Williams, who great guy, and who had had a program called Monday's Child, trying to get kids out of the foster care system and state custody into adoptive families. Yes. And had been very successful with that for many years. So I knew that this was on his heart and that he knew more people in Tennessee than just about anybody. Right. And so I called Bill on the phone. He said, you need to go see this person, and he named the individual. I reached out to her. She met with us, and she said, this is going to cost you a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, but I'll pursue it if you want. And she said, we're going to have to also get an Alabama lawyer. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'll I'll arrange for that. And uh, they did all the legwork to get all your relatives to sign off. Yes. And then made the case to the folks in Alabama, to the authorities, that you already had a good situation in Tennessee and a family that was waiting to adopt you. Yes. And would the state of Alabama prefer to start spending a bunch of money to try and take care of you in Alabama? Or would they be willing to transfer your care over to the state of Tennessee where it could be quickly resolved with an adoption into our family? And thank God, the powers that be in Alabama... All said, yes. Yes. And so you got to come. Now, along the way, um, the last person to sign off Mm -hmm. was your biological father. Yes, and my biological dad. Now, Preston, how much time had you spent with your biological dad growing up? Almost none. 
Yeah. Um, the only time that we spent with him growing up, I kind of skipped over him almost entirely, but that was reflective of my relationship with him as a whole. He really was um, an alcoholic who never really sought treatment as, as far as I could tell and really remained an alcoholic right up until he died. Um, it was a very sad case, which makes it all the more strange that I chose to drink at all mm-hmm. after having, you know, seeing what, seeing the life that he led, but there um, was almost no relationship at all with him. Yeah. And I mean, he had abandoned your mom and, and you Absolutely. when you were an infant. Absolutely. From a young age, he really yeah. had uh, nothing, um, really next to nothing to yeah. do with, uh, with my brother and I. Yeah. Now, you did get to see him mm-hmm. later. Yes. A week before he died. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you were still an active alcoholic yourself. Yes. But you went to see him there in the project, mm-hmm. um, and you shared the gospel with him. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. It was emotionally, for me, it was a very interesting time because although he had not spent any time at all with me, he was still my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I spent a couple of days wrestling with my emotions. Um, I heard that he had cancer. His family members began calling um, other relatives, you know, our, we call it kind of our side of the family. So his siblings, um, our aunts and uncles had began calling my siblings, my sisters and brothers and saying, you know, if you want to see him, if you want to speak with him, now's the time to do so. And my first thought, my first response was, well, I don't really know him anyway, but I do love Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that was the, I think that was the overarching thought in my mind was, whether or not I have personal feelings for him or grudges for the times that he was there or not, here's a person who is about to die who doesn't know Jesus. And so that was the biggest thing on my mind was, you know, in spite of the last 30 years, I think at that point it was, I was about 30 years old. And in spite of the last 30 years that have been missed or that have been misused, here's an opportunity to maybe have an hour or two hours or something like Mm -hmm. that. And that's the type of God that we serve. Yes. Um, you can have a person who's missed every opportunity in the world, every mm-hmm. cue, done everything wrong. Mm-hmm. But in the last week, if that person professes, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and really trusts him. And really trusts him. The thief on the cross. Absolutely. I mean, he, he started out cursing Jesus, mm-hmm. mocking him, mm-hmm. even as he hung next to him. Absolutely. But that changed. Mm-hmm. And when he put his trust in Jesus... Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Absolutely. We are not saved by what we do. We're saved by Jesus. Absolutely. So if you're listening today, I implore you, mm-hmm. put your trust in Jesus. Absolutely. And it's, and it's absolutely not too late, no matter what you think that you've done mm-hmm. and how bad you think what you've done is. Mm-hmm. That's why we have a Savior. Amen. Amen. Because we need one. We absolutely do. And so that, that time with my dad, it was, we, I did go, um, mm-hmm. I did speak with him. I don't know whether or not, um, mm-hmm. he did accept the Lord. He, you know, there wasn't any clear profession of faith, but I did know that the Lord wanted, wanted me to go down there and speak mm-hmm. with him. And I also know that as a result of that, that was one of the ways the Lord was calling me to forgive him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a, that's something for a whole different subject, people who've hurt you and so forth. Mm-hmm. But just going and speaking with him, loving him, telling him mm-hmm. about the Lord was not just for him, 
it was one of the ways that the Lord helped me let go of a lot of hurt. Praise God. That had been that had accrued over the years Praise um, God. in that relationship. Preston, God made you a part of our family, but much more importantly, God made you a part of his family. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening right now and you know that you're still hurting from what you've been through, you have made mistakes. You've made not just mistakes, but committed grievous sins. Jesus came to save sinners. And Preston is here not to say how great he is or how great I am, but we want you to know how great Jesus is. Amen. We have a great God, and he loves us. Preston, anything else? We've got just a couple of minutes before we close. Anything else you especially want to share? Um. Yes, there is really one thing that I, I want to share that the Lord has just been pressing on my heart for anyone um, who's, again, who's dealing with addiction um, mm-hmm. and who's trying to who's trying to get free but doesn't necessarily know how to. When you are dealing with addiction, when you are in that darkness, sometimes you don't even know where to turn. You don't even know where to go. You don't even know how. I was in a situation where... In the morning time, I was absolutely determined that I would never, you know, do whatever it is again. I was never going to um, drink again. Mm-hmm. And by lunch, I was drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who can relate to that. But certainly recognize um, the lies of the enemy. One of the biggest things that I struggled with was hopelessness. And that mm-hmm. is Satan will tie you, tie you down so much in that addiction to where he makes you feel like you don't want to stop engaging in whatever that sin is. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if you do stop that there is no, there is no joy in life. There is Mm -hmm. no, again, there is no hope that there's nothing to look forward to. Um, And it's so difficult to actually, to see the light, to see past that hole, Mm -hmm. to see past that rut that you found yourself in. But just a word of encouragement, I mean, in the last year, since I have been able to be sober, since I have been able to overcome, I have been able to love my family, mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, we've spent much more time Oh yeah, in the last year together than we have in the past 10. Yes. We've talked more, we've been able to relate more, I've been able to, you know, that, that sense of shame, that sense of separation from your family that all falls away. You can look your loved ones in the face, you know, without that, without that cloud of guilt hovering mm-hmm. over you. Again, I, I can, I can go on and on, but in, in my marriage, um, in my work, in, in any, in every facet of life where I thought if I quit drinking, then what else is there? Mm-hmm. What else, what else is there to live for? You know, you know, I don't want to work. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. There is so much joy in life, and there is so much that's worth living for. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many emotions that I'm tapping into that I didn't even remember that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just be walking, you know, uh, randomly down the sidewalk, and I'll just get hit with this explosion of like joy <laughs> at seeing the leaves and at feeling the breeze, and those things all get dulled. Yes. Those are all sensations, and those are all, all emotions that absolutely get completely crushed and clouded underneath the weight of your addiction. Yeah. So I implore you, if you are looking for help, I, I don't have any, you know, 1-800 hotlines. Maybe my mm-hmm. dad, I mean, certainly call, um, you know, my dad and whatever um, outlets he has. Mm-hmm. But I would just encourage anyone who is thinking about becoming sober or thinking about 
um, beating your addiction. Be absolutely relentless. Do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. Um, There is no such thing as too much. I mean, Mm -hmm. if it's something that's on your phone, I mean, go to people around you. Uh, reach out to the people who love you mm-hmm. go to rehab i mean I, I can go on and on but really don't short yourself by thinking that there is no hope that there is no way out yeah the lord always provides an escape if you seek him amen amen folks we are glad to put you in touch with resources that can offer assistance to you depending on where you live there are folks who will be glad to come alongside you and encourage you as you seek the Lord. God bless you. Have a good night. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.